This is my favorite Bible to use. It's the George Lampsa version, which you can get on Amazon today if you need it, if you want it. Some of you need it. (laughs) (laughs) This is the Metaphysical Bible Dictionary that Charles Fillmore and many who worked with him uh, put together a lot of years ago. What this does, because you see, we teach the Bible metaphysically. Every person, every place, every body of water, every city, every, every town is interpreted metaphysically in this book. That's a lot. That's a lot. Because unity and new thought in general doesn't see the Bible traditionally as a history book. And it's not to say history doesn't influence it, because it certainly does. But not everything happened in the chronological order that the Bible implies. One of my favorite, the book, book of Joshua. The book of Joshua is actually, you know, and it's a, it's a, it's a bloodbath is what it is. And Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. He's a Bible hero. That was actually several wars over a long period of time. And whoever wrote the book of Joshua turned him into a Bible hero. They, con- they condensed all those wars. And metaphysically, though, as we interpret it, all of those towns that they conquered are actually states of our own limited thinking. To observe our fear state, our, our lack and limitation state, our, our belief in the absence of good as opposed to the presence of good, and we're seeking to tear those beliefs down, our victim down, so that we can revel in the joy of the Lord, as it were, in the joy of the power that is within us, that we can go within and break down, tear down all of those beliefs in lack and limitation, in the absence of good. That's the point of this. The, you know, there, it, there's not one thing in the unity, unity uh, interpretation of the Bible that seeks to make us feel as if we are less than a beloved child of God, less than good. And that's why I trust it. No word here does it tell me to feel guilty. That I should be guilty for my ancestors. That I should be guilty for my thinking. There's nowhere in Unity's teachings does it tell us to feel badly about ourselves. It does not tell us to hate our neighbor. Even if we think we're justified. It does not tell us that the neighbor is bad either, or less than good. It's why I trust it. That's why I trust our interpretation. Now, it's a lot of busy work to look up all of the stuff. The book of Job, and that's where I really started to get the metaphysical Bible interpretation. You know, Job, Job, the book of Job, he falls on heart first. He's, he's, he's boasting of his, his love for the Lord, and that God would never let him down, and suddenly everything is wiped out. Everything. His wife is killed. His children are killed. His cattle are killed. 
and they're all kind of at the same level of importance, uh, which is bizarre, but that's that's the Bible for you. And, and uh, but every everything, all his wealth is gone, and oh, what do I do? Well, along come three of Job's friends in the story, and I don't remember their names right now. I used to, and and that's when I got oh. Those are places of Job's thinking. So I got my metaphysical Bible dictionary out, dictionary out, and I looked up the friends. And they were each a state of Job's limited thinking, lack thinking. And when he repaired that, everything was restored. I don't know how. It's a Bible story, not a history lesson. <laughs> and, and so to, to realize that, oh, oh. When I change my thoughts, I have a new perception. I see things differently. Many family relationships have been restored as a result of correct thinking, as opposed to limited thinking, as opposed to conditional thinking. I, I, I had a good friend once who we had, we had a big falling out, not a screaming match, just a falling out where we both went away from each other because we so did not like each other, at least at that point. And then one day, and I had nothing nice to say about this guy for a long time to anybody who would ask. And too many people asked. So I had a lot of not nice things to say. And then one day I was praying on how to experience forgiveness for a neighbor. And, and the, the thought that came across my mind was, they were just doing what they thought was the right thing to do at the time. And I thought, well, that's me, isn't it? I'm always doing what I think is the right thing to do at the time. Doesn't make it the right thing to do. It's what I think is the right thing. And then I thought of my friend. And I thought, ah, that's what we were doing with each other when we complain about each other behind each other's backs, when we criticize each other. We were just doing what we thought was the right thing to do at that time. Suddenly, I was set free from the past with him. So I called him because I was going to be teaching a class at the Unity a block away from where he worked. And I called him and I said, hey, I bet you didn't expect to hear from me today. <laughs> and he said, no. <laughs> and I said, I'm going to be working a block from you tonight. Any chance you could have dinner? He said, yeah, I'd like that. So we got together. This is a lot of years ago now. We've never discussed what ailed us before, but we've been friends ever since. See, I didn't need a contract. Apparently neither did he. You won't do that again. Because people break those contracts. People break emotional contracts. People do that. So there was no point in a contract. There was, I actually like him. I enjoy him. I respect a lot of things about him and apparently it's mutual. And that's why we've been friends ever since and we never needed to discuss the falling out. Because the falling out wasn't important. The today was. Like, we like each other and we don't see each other a lot so much anymore. COVID kind of ripped that apart. Uh, so we're not in the city so much. But whenever we do run into each other, we're happy to. And we immediately go into conversations about as if time never passed. And during, during COVID, David and I would have Zoom visits with him every now and then. But we, uh, what I saw is with incorrect perception, within the willingness 
to see my relationships differently, to tear down the thoughts of lack and limitation. I'm open to be happy, joyous, and free. And it seems like it takes one relationship at a time. I, I haven't been able to do a mass healing yet. Still haven't healed with the neighbor. <laughs> but my thoughts about the neighbor led me to the healing with my friend. I'm so grateful. And I still pray on the neighbor. Haven't found it yet. But I know it will be revealed. Who knows? Could be this afternoon. You never know. I'm open and I am receptive. I just haven't heard how to be proactive with it yet. And, and so it tells me don't you don't push. But don't take actions to make it worse. And so I pay attention to all that in my prayer life. I'm going to read a little bit to you here. I hope it's a little bit. The sacred and the metaphysical interpretation of the Bible is as the sacred and inspired scriptures of the Christian religion. It is a divine book of life rather than merely a history of people and it bears witness unto the word of God. Bible characters. The characters of the Bible represent ideas in one's own mind. So you see, you and I, both of us, we are every character in the Bible. They're all me. And they are all you. It's a lot. It's a lot to take in. If you study your Bible, as I'm sure one of you do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, when this symbolism is understood, one can follow the characters in their various movements and thus find the way to solve all one's life, all, all of one's life's problems. The Bible, a place in truth study. The Bible is a recital of what has taken place in the consciousness of mankind, of the results of his working either intelligently with the law or unintelligently against it, in seeking his own salvation. It gives an explanation of spiritual law as applied to man, woman, uh, and tells them how to find the kingdom of heaven within. If we study our Bible correctly, we can find the kingdom that is within us. You know, we, we learn as much through people's successes as we learn through their mistakes. And all of these characters, they have successes and they have mistakes. Solomon, considered one of the richest ever, but then it all fell apart because he changed his thinking and went awry. Metaphysical Bible study is self-discovery. Most people understand that self-discovery is an intuitive process. Metaphysical Bible study is a particular intuitive process that uses the underlying essence of biblical stories known as divine ideas to help us to achieve self-discovery and spiritual growth. The actual process for doing this will be learned in the many exercises in subsequent chapters. Here's the underlying philosophy of why it works. Metaphysical Bible Dictionary is a direct perception of truth. Have you, who here has had an aha moment? Every one of you. Trust me, every one of you have had an aha moment where you said, oh, I didn't realize that. I'm so glad I did. Oh, my goodness. Uh, of course that's the truth. Well, how do I know that? Because it's setting me free. 
And I know this realization will make me open for everybody to be set free. And I don't have to preach at them to do it. I can just be in that revelation. That's why we do correct perception here. You know, one person's aha spreads across the room. One person's request leads to ahas over on the other side there. And it's pretty wonderful. A metaphysician or truth student is one who desires to directly receive divine ideas from the mind of God. See, what I did with my friend, I didn't go to him and tell him that I had been praying that afternoon. I don't think that would have gone over well. I prayed and we got together. <laughs> you know, it's a, because there, uh, it implies there's been a judgment loitering there, and nobody needs to hear that. Oh, you've been judging me all this time, and now all of a sudden you're praying, and you have a, no, no, we don't let our friends in on that information. <laughs> <laughs> we just enter into a new possibility. It's really quite wonderful. While the Bible may point to truth by illustrating how divine ideas were once expressed in the lives of biblical characters, it does not contain the truth. Do we hear that? The Bible does not contain the truth. It points the way to the truth. Uh, the truth comes from God, mind, and it comes to us direct. Therefore, as metaphysicians or truth students, our objective in studying the Bible metaphysically is establishing a direct connection to God-mind. Opening our heart enough so that divine ideas may flow into our consciousness and meditating on these ideas until they are expressed in our everyday lives. Truth in the Bible is the expression of divine ideas. The key the metaphysical Bible interpretation is the perception of the divine idea that lies behind the particulars of the story or character. This practice has been around for a long time. The early Greeks, they did it when they read about some of the outrageous stories in Greek mythology. And many early Christians also did it when they read Old Testament account about child sacrifice uh, and God wiping out entire cities. The story may be gory and expressed in a God-awful way, but the divine idea, if perceived correctly, can teach us what we need to know. Why study divine ideas expressed in the Bible? Because divine ideas expressed in the Bible are also expressed in our own consciousness. Do you agree? What did I just say? <laughs> Interpreting the Bible enables us to interpret what is going on in our own minds. There is a test at the end of this. Divine ideas expressed in the Bible that are also expressed in our own consciousness. The following are some examples. The characters and places in the scripture represent different phases of our consciousness. And here's, I, I like these examples. Israelites represent our awareness when we are looking toward God. The story of Cain and Abel, interpreted metaphysically, is the story of conflict between our physical and spiritual aspects of human nature. Moses represents our development and consciousness of the law of being. Animals, fish, birds, and inanimate objects in the Bible represent our thoughts and ideas. Adam's wife, I love, oh, wow. Adam's wife, Eve. <laughs> signifies the mother of our living feeling nature and the mother principle of God in action in our life. 
Can't just say Eve, can't we? <laughs> Gotta say Adam's wife, Eve. That's a different time. Adam represents our awakening of faith. King David represents our consciousness of love. King Solomon represents the unification of love and wisdom in us. John the Baptist represents our high intellectual perception of truth. Mary, the mother of Jesus, represents our intuition, the divine motherhood of love and the soul. Jesus represents God idea of, God's idea of you and me in expression. Christ is the idea of you and me in the absolute. And, uh, let me, if you don't understand that, I'll, when it says in the absolute, it means the part of us which cannot be changed. That aspect of us which cannot be altered. That is the Christ aspect within us. It's why I, I like to affirm it a lot. Christ in me is awakened now. That part of me which cannot be changed, which cannot be taken away, which cannot be altered, even though it can be blocked from my consciousness, it does not leave us. It is always within us and can be accessed any time we want. Christ in me is awake now. And that's all we have to do. It is, it's, it's very simple, this stuff, even though it's, it can be a hard study. And then Jehovah of the Hebrew Scriptures is equivalent to the Christ in the New Testament. So I'm going to give an read an example here, and it's Jonah. Jonah. Call to mind someone in your life, you know Jonah and the whale. Jonah, he lived in a whale. Okay. Call to mind someone in your life who struggles with human passions. The person may be acting out because of stress, overeating to soothe emotions, overspending to compensate for low self-esteem. If you need to think of someone, think of me. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, it may be a child, a spouse, a parent, a boss, a friend, a pastor, or it may be you, or it may be me. No matter who it is, we know that person's name. It is Jonah. The book of Jonah is about what life is like without a mindset of divine love. Jonah represents a phase of spiritual consciousness which sees the enormity of evil and the dire consequences of evil. Jonah falls short because he allows himself to be intimidated by the seeming mightiness of evil and fails to appreciate the redeeming power of eternal good. Here, now I'm going to... Let's... Bring it into modern times. Some of us see politics that way, or politicians that way. We know everything that's wrong, and we call it evil, and we do all this stuff, but we're so overwhelmed with it, we get, can become committed to it. We can be, become committed to all of the, everything that's wrong in it, all the bad, we'll say, in it, and we have conversations about it. But it says here, the Jonah consciousness fails to appreciate the redeeming power of eternal good. When I've, and it's been several politicians, I've heard about this in the past 20 years. Yeah, I'd say 20 years. And I have said, pray for their joy. And that has turned many a unitic off. <laughs> Many a unity being has said, but no, I can't do that. That means they'll get away with it. And I said, let them get away with it. 
let them become joy-filled. Let these people that you see as somehow bad or wrong or evil as joy-filled. Why? Because joy-filled people don't hurt other people. A happy person is not out to take anything away, any part of any good away from someone else. Don't be committed to what's wrong. Become committed to the potential good, the potential light, the potential wonderfulness within these beings. Like I said, the Christ is in all of us. That light is in all of us, but it is masked. And don't be the one holding the mask on someone else's face so that they can't see the light. Don't be the one to do that. Don't be the Jonah. Be the Jesus. And we're not talking about Jesus as an object of worship. We're talking about Jesus metaphysically, which was, is, is, the, is man an absolute good and the absolute light consciousness of God. To pay attention to that. Okay, so, so Jonah represents a state of mind without divine love set in cause and effect under which error sowing cannot be redeemed or forgiven. At the end of the story, Jonah is consumed with anger. Anybody? Anybody? Have you found yourself in the past several years consumed with anger at the state of affairs in the world? Absolutely consumed with it. It's just eating your insides out. Certain events that take place in the world and you don't see how it could change or you can't forgive these people who inflicted it. If you don't see it now, pay attention later. Uh, let's explore how we deal with human passions of others and of our own as perceived by Charles Fillmore and his students. The human passions that is the source of Jonah's shame and anger is Nineveh, the seat of natural animal forces in human body consciousness. Nineveh's people, our base human instincts and those of people we know, are not willfully wicked. The fact that human passions are active is an indication of the first manifest expression of the truth that the human spirit, soul, and body are not bound by limitations of matter. They await spiritual instruction to turn away from the outer and the material. It occurs to me as I'm reading this, there are many people who we will call wicked. We'll call them by name, but we will call them wicked. They're not out trying to be wicked. They're not out trying to hurt people. They just want what they want. Perhaps narcissism is great in them. They just want what they want. And it, they don't even notice the people they push out of the way or step upon. You know, I, I have certainly stepped on a bug in my life and not thought about the consciousness within that. I, the bug scared me. Squish. I think twice now before I do that. I can't tell you I always pick a, a bug up and take it outside. But I, I think on it, and I have a great, greater consciousness of it, and I, uh, and I don't seek to automatically kill them like I used to, because they're in my way, because they're bringing up fear in my animal nature. 
They're, they're not bringing up the fear in my animal nature. My thoughts about them bring up the fear in my animal nature. I was taught as a child to be afraid of bugs. How silly. Other people were taught to love. I'll be, I know people who are kinder to bugs than they are to other people. <laughs> they will scoop up the spider and take it outside and let it go in love. And they will come back in and finish character assassinating their neighbor with me. <laughs> yeah. They will come back in and finish character assassinating themselves about what awful people they are to me. I've seen it. I've experienced it. I try to pay attention to it and say, is that what I want from my own behavior? How do I shape up and to be what I want to be? Ah. So uh, the fact that human passions are active is an indication of the first manifest expression of the truth that the human spirit, soul, and body are not bound by limitations of matter. They await spiritual instruction to turn away from the outer and the material. Our internal Jonah has two choices to make. First is, will we engage our human passions and the passions of others, or will we detach from them? As the story goes, Jonah chose to run away. He caught a ship going west when Nineveh was to the east. He was so detached that a mighty wind, life currents, that surrounded the whole being, dear mighty wind, life currents, uh, surrounded the whole being, arose, and Jonah soon found himself nearly drowning in the sea of his subconscious mind. Let me see metaphysics there. It's really one, quite wonderful. He so much dreaded engaging what he perceived as human evil that he asked to die. After being rescued by a fish sent by God, Jonah represents and goes into an extended affirmative prayer. So God has the fish spit him out onto dry land in the direction of Nineveh. So much for Jonah's strategy of detachment. Have you ever thought you escaped somebody who's very negative and then they show up back in your life dressed up in a new body? <laughs> They have changed bodies on you, but it's the same person. <laughs> son of a gun. <laughs> Jonah, having learned his lesson, resolves to go to Nineveh and to encourage human passion. This resolution presents Jonah with his second choice. Should he respond with compassion or judgment? Here's what our internal Jonah is likely to sabotage all the new year <laughs> all the new year resolutions we make he bursts into the city and declares that because of evil human evil Nineveh will be overthrown in 40 days it's right there Jonah wants Nineveh to be a 40-day wonder he's judgmental dogmatic and unaware that repentance can alter or wipe out the consequences of sin surprising to him the king of Nineveh chooses to repent the redeeming power of eternal good raised the king's understanding to the spiritual level, and both people and beasts of Nineveh were saved from destruction. That's an important lesson for all of us who approach the new year with resolutions to shape up. Now, God within tries to nudge us 
or nudge him to a place of compassion, but as the story concludes, Jonah couldn't rise enough to a place of peace. Jonah is able to engage the human passions, but in the end, he was not able to find peace in his soul. True peace, as we know from our Fillmore teachings, is always from a change in heart. So this isn't just a child story about a whale. It's a story that can penetrate a child's heart and soul with a powerful message about peace. Mr. Fillmore writes, he says, about a time in my life many years ago when my two children were doing what little children do, making a mess. And he was reminded of a song. And it said, see me beautiful. Look for the best in me. It's what I really am. And all I want to be, it may take some time, it may be hard to find, but see me beautiful. See me beautiful each and every day. Could you take a chance? Could you find a way to see me shining through in everything I do and see me beautiful? And so, these evildoers, these confused beings in our sphere, these people that we are taught to judge, we see them making big mistakes in a land of kindness, where there's a possibility of kindness and generosity. We see them choosing for the opposite of what we are taught to choose from. Let us not mimic them in the name of righteousness. Let us not copy the narcissist. Let us not copy the self-centered egoic one. Let us not copy them by punishing them. Let us not punish ourselves by hating them. Because that's who we punish when we hate, we punish ourselves. This is what we want. Listen to this prayer again. And think of it as your own prayer and the prayer of the one who was confused. See me beautiful. Look for the best in me. It's what I really am. And all I want to be, it may take some time, it may be hard to find, but see me beautiful. See me beautiful each and every day. Could you take a chance? Could you find a way to see me beautiful? Could you find a way to see me shining through in everything I do and see me beautiful? Thank you.